I love doing that. It's an amazing privilege and opportunity to live life as family. That's what the church is, right? The, the Sunday morning gathering is just an event. But if you really want to experience the church, you need to experience the community. You need to figure out ways to get involved with the church community. And that's why we're here, and that's what we do throughout the week. And so, as Kevin mentioned, different ways to connect. We'd love to have you get connected to this church community so that you could experience the life of Jesus Christ in community. As we go through the book of Matthew, we've been studying Matthew, and we're seeing we're actually seeing this play out, what it means to live life in community, to follow Jesus in the midst of community, not to just worship Jesus as in an event, but to follow Jesus as a people, learning to submit our lives to Jesus as king. This is hard, isn't it? It's fairly easy to get up on a Sunday morning and to put in an hour and a half to attend an event. But to learn to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, that's hard. Anyone who's ever tried it knows that it's incredibly hard. In fact, there's this conflict that happens, and that's what we see in the book of Matthew. As we walk through this gospel, we see this, this colliding, this conflict between the kingdom of earth, all the things that we see, all the things that we're accustomed to, everything that our world and our culture would tell us to pursue, and the kingdom of heaven, something that's otherworldly, something that's countercultural, it's counterworldly. And so if we're going to actually follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, we are going to experience this conflict. Those of you who have been following Jesus for years, you know that his teachings, his commands, his ways collide with that of your own flesh and that of the world. And those of you who are maybe curious, maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus, maybe you wouldn't say you're a follower of him, but you're curious, you're checking it out, you need to know before you get into this that Jesus is going to ask you to give up some things. That, that you just can't go about living life the way that you want to. That if you follow Jesus, he's actually going to call you to a higher standard. He's going to call you to a different type of life. I remember a few conversations along these lines extremely well. One happened at a caribou coffee shop and one happened in my living room. Two guys that I was discipling, I was reading the Bible with them, trying to help them to get to know God's word because they were spiritually interested they were curious, and so we were reading the Bible together, and I remember with both of them, one at Caribou, one in my living room, we came through these teachings, and they had this, this light bulb went on in their minds as we read and talked, and they both said essentially the same thing. They said, so if I'm really going to follow Jesus, that means I have to give up everything, right? Is that, is that what Jesus is saying, that if I'm going to follow him, I have to give up everything, and I can't do life the way that I want to do it on my own terms, in my own way? I said, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Two different people, two different spaces, two different responses. One said, I'm in. I'll give it all up. I will do whatever he asks me to do. I want to bend my knee to King Jesus and follow him. I will give up everything. And he gave his life to Jesus. He joined the family. The other said, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not willing to. And he left. We continued a friendship, but that was the last conversation that we had about following Jesus. Because the reality is to follow Jesus, our, our church exists to be and make disciples. That's our mission statement. That means that we learn to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. We don't just attend an event. We don't just put in our spiritual time, but we are continually learning to bow the knee to King Jesus and to give up everything to follow him. 
And so this morning, as we continue in Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Here's the big idea for the text that we're going to look at today. It's that followers of Jesus grow in their understanding of the kingdom of heaven and willingness to give everything for it. And this isn't a one-time deal, like one and done. Like one time you said, I'll give up everything to follow Jesus, and then you get to go on your merry little way. It's this daily, continual learning to surrender. And so today, as we look at Matthew chapter 13, the second half, this is what we're going to see. That Jesus calls you, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you're curious about following Jesus, you need to know that to be a genuine follower of Jesus, it means that you continually grow in your understanding of the kingdom of heaven. You're able to distinguish it from the kingdom of earth. You're able to learn the difference between the two, and you grow in your understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is and your willingness to give it all to give everything to follow him, regardless of what that is. And so we're going to see this play out here in the text, and then we'll talk through it. And so if you can turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 52, we're going to read this entire text because I want you to see it in context here, and then we'll talk through it. It's on page 818 in the Pew Bible. And if you could stand as Angie reads the text for us, that would be great. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All of these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So what will be at the end of the age? The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that as we saw last week in the first part of this chapter, in these first parables, I pray that we would be people who have ears to hear, that we would hear and understand, that we have eyes to see, that we would see and perceive, that our hearts would not grow dull. I pray that we would turn from self, from the world, and turn to you, turn to God, and receive your healing as we look at your word this morning. For your glory, for our good, and for the advancement of your gospel, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a large chunk of scripture, so it helps us to to organize our thoughts around it, to take in that big of a chunk of scripture, to kind of ingest it and understand what's going on. I think it's helpful for us to organize it. The big idea, I mean, really, we talked about the big idea, it's that followers of Jesus, they grow in their understanding of the kingdom of heaven and willingness to give everything for it. And Jesus here is teaching us what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's why he starts every parable with, the kingdom of heaven is like, 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 the kingdom of heaven is like. Seven parables, eight in this chapter, seven that we just read. And he's beginning everyone telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because he wants his followers to understand the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth and to be able to distinguish the difference between the two. If we're going to embrace the conflict, if we're going to follow Jesus and give our lives to him, we need to grow in our understanding of what his expectations are and what his kingdom is like. And so that's what he's doing. He's giving these parables to both the crowds and the disciples to help them understand what the kingdom is like. And specifically here in the second half, he he structures it in this way, or we can look at it structured this way and think there's two parables about the kingdom's future. So as he's teaching, the kingdom of heaven is like, he gives the parable of the weeds and the net to help us understand what the kingdom's future will hold. He gives two parables about the kingdom's growth. The parable about the mustard seed and the leavener help us to understand how his kingdom grows here on earth. There's two parables about the kingdom's worth. The parable, parable about the hidden treasure and the fine pearl are about how his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is worth everything. And then there's one parable about the kingdom's disciples. That's at the end when he asked them, have you understood these things? And so that's the structure of the second half of this chapter. So keep that in mind as we go. That's the big picture. Now I want to dive in and kind of look at each of these parables individually or, or these chunks of parables, these, these kind of pairing of parables and try and understand what they have for us. What is Jesus actually asking from us? 
What does it mean for us to bend our knee in submission to King Jesus and say, in this kingdom conflict, I want to bow to you as my king. You're my king. I give you my allegiance. I will follow you rather than self, rather than world, rather than politics, rather than the governments, rather than just anything that I may fancy at the moment. And so Jesus is helping us to do that. First, the the parable of the weeds in the net. The parable about the kingdom's future The parables about the kingdom's future teach us that those who live for earth will perish, but those who live for heaven will flourish. See, Jesus here is giving the the parable of the weeds and the net, and they're similar in that he talks about, about how life, in life, there's people who are living for the kingdom of heaven and people who are living for the kingdom of earth. We know this reality, right? I mean, we live among people, some who worship King Jesus, some who, who say, I'm, I'm increasingly willing to give up everything to follow him. I'm increasingly willing to listen to his word and to submit my life to his authority. I'm increasingly willing to follow him and to live in the kingdom of heaven. And others that say, I'm increasingly turning a, a, a deaf ear to him. I'm increasingly chasing the things of the world. I'm increasingly chasing my own happiness, my own desires. And so in the parable of the weeds, Jesus is using this imagery, this this parable, saying that weeds and wheat grow together. They're in the same field. And he explains this parable to us, saying that a sower went out. The sower is the son of man. It's Jesus. He's scattering the good seed. He's scattering the gospel of the kingdom. If you look in verse 37, he's explaining it to them. The sower is the son of man. It's Jesus. The field is the world. It's everyone around us. So Jesus is walking among the world, and he's scattering good seed. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And here in this parable, those who listen, they're representative of the wheat. They are growing. They're the children of the kingdom. They are those who have said, we identify with Jesus. We claim him as king. We will follow him. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. These are people who are living for the kingdom of earth. They've rejected the message of the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. But we live in community together, do we not? Our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, even our churches are filled with people, some who are children of the kingdom. They are living for the kingdom of heaven and some who are children of the devil. They're living for the kingdom of earth. They're living for self. And Jesus is saying, this is just the reality of the world that you live in. And then he gives the parable of the net as well. And he says, they, they went out and they cast the net. And it's not like a fishing net in our day and age where you get a fish on the line and you have one small net and you scoop up that one fish on the end of your line. It's a big net that would capture a ton of fish, many fish together. And he's saying, in that catch, there are some who are good fish, some who are living for the kingdom of heaven, and, and those ones will be kept and preserved. And there's some who are bad fish, those who are living for the kingdom of earth, and they will be thrown out. And there's a sober reality at the end of both parables. Verse 41, the end of the, the, as he explains the parable of the weeds, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. This is the weeds, those living for the kingdom of earth, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's he's talking about hell. Those who live for the kingdom of earth will perish. There's death 
in their future. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth in their future. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to believe that. But it's what Jesus is teaching. And so what do we do with that? He's saying those who live for the kingdom of earth, this is their fate. If you live for earth, if you settle for the temporal, you will receive only the temporal. If, if you live as though this is the best, this life is the best that there will ever be, this is the best that you will ever experience. But if you live this life for the kingdom of heaven, believing that there's something better yet to come, there will be something better yet to come. And this is what Jesus is saying. Those who live for the here and now, their fate is sealed. They will perish. There is sure suffering to come. But those who live for the kingdom of heaven, look at verse 43. The, the weeds. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So those who live for the kingdom of heaven, those who live for Jesus, there's a glorious, bright future coming. And notice, he actually removes the wicked and in this parable, he removes the wicked, but those who are righteous, those who are living for the kingdom of heaven, they stay. So a lot of us think that like heaven is this removal. We get taken away and we go up into this ethereal reality in the clouds and we'll live forever singing on clouds and harps. And, but, but Jesus seems to be saying, and I'm not making a statement about where heaven is. There's debate about that. But he seems to be saying that the, those who live for the kingdom of earth, the things of the world, they'll be taken away. But those who live for the kingdom of heaven... And remember, Jesus has said in the beginning part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's this restoration project. He is bringing heaven, the glorious truth of heaven, to earth. And those who follow him, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, wherever that kingdom is. If it's this renewed earth or if it is somewhere yet to be experienced, if we live for heaven, we will flourish eternally. Now, now, this doesn't necessarily mean here and now on this earth, right? Those who live for the kingdom of earth, sometimes they flourish here on earth. But again, if this is the best that you believe there is, this is the best that you will ever experience. Sometimes those who live for the kingdom of heaven, they don't flourish here on this earth, but their flourishing will come later. It'll be this eternal flourishing. This is the promise from Jesus. This is what he's saying in the parable of the weeds and what he's saying in the parable of the net. Again, the parable of the net, he casts out this net, pulls in this, this large catch representing the world, the people of the world. And when it was full, verse 48, the men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels, in both parables, the angels are the ones who are coming and helping to separate this out. They will come and they will separate the evil from the righteous and throw them, the evil, into the fiery furnace. In this place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not going to do a, a long teaching on hell here, but let this be a sobering reminder to us that Jesus, he's telling his followers that there is this future life that must be considered. And those who settle for the here and now, those who settle for the kingdom of earth, they are surely to perish. 
The best is not yet to come. The best has already arrived. But those who fix their eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, those who trust in Jesus and follow him and cling to this promised glorious future, the best is yet to come. There is a greater day. You will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. Your life will be preserved for all of eternity and you will experience the glory of God. You will flourish. The second set of parables here, the mustard seed and the leaven. The parables about the kingdom's growth. So these two parables, the, the point of them is about how the kingdom grows. They, are, they teach us that humble beginnings have fruitful endings. Humble beginnings have fruitful endings. See, Jesus wants us to be aware of how his kingdom works on earth. He has said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When a lot of people heard that, they thought that meant a political ruler, a military ruler. They thought that meant that they were finally going to conquer this earth. That they were going to be able to experience life on earth as though it was heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That didn't mean that the glory of heaven would necessarily be experienced here now. It meant that the beginning movements of the kingdom, that, that there's this already not yet component to the kingdom of God, that Jesus has burst on the scene. He's offering eternal salvation to those who would follow him. He's healing people's diseases. He's improving people's lives in certain cases, but also there's some suffering to be expected. The disciples, many of them, were martyred for following Jesus. And so he's teaching, he wants us to know if we're going to follow him, he wants us to have proper expectations because frustration comes from unmet expectations. And so he wants you, Christian, to know that if you're following him, Following him may not always look like glorious success and growing things and great top-down dominance. In fact, it's rather bottom-up. He says that these two parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed into the field. It is the smallest of all seeds. Now, it's not actually the smallest of all seeds. And some people say, see, Jesus, you can't trust the Bible. It was the smallest of all seeds used in this region of the world during his time. So he's saying, he's comparing it. For all they knew, it was the smallest seed in the time. And he's saying, this grain of mustard seed, it's the smallest. He, he, he wants them to know that the kingdom of God grows slowly. It grows from the bottom up. It doesn't start from the top down. Jesus was not, he wasn't crowned as the political king of Israel. Well, he was, right? A king of thorns on a cross. Mockingly, they said king of the Jews. Because he didn't bring them the life that they wanted. He didn't bring them the military conquests that they were expecting. He didn't bring them the political freedom that they wanted from Rome. And here Jesus is warning them. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, this small little thing that at first it's hard to notice. You can't understand it. But then when it grows, it becomes a tree and the birds of the air come and they make nests in its branches. 2,000 years later, what does the kingdom of heaven on earth look like? It's much larger than it was then. It's much more diverse than it was then. It's more expansive. It, it's growing. And if, if you study China, what happened in China during the communist movement, when they, when they banned Christianity from China, the thing grew. Christianity grows oftentimes 
the best and the most in countries where people are persecuted for following Jesus. And he's warning them. He's, he's preparing them that you need to know that if you're going to follow me, it doesn't mean this top-down success and power and prominence and prestige. It's a life of humility. Jesus came as a humble servant, crucified on a cross. When they saw him on the cross with the crown of thorns, they thought, that's not our king. Our king is supposed to be on a real throne with a crown of gold, ruling and reigning from the top down, setting everything in order. And Jesus wants us to know that humble beginnings have fruitful endings. It's the same thing with the parable of the leaven. I'm not a baker, and I didn't have time this week to study a bunch of baking tips, but I do know that leaven is like small. You put it in bread, and it grows throughout the bread, right? It's not the most prominent ingredient. There's more flour and water in a loaf of bread than leaven. Am I right, bakers? Pretty sure I'm right on that. And, but leaven, so it's the smaller portion of the ingredients. And so Jesus is preparing his followers. We seem small and insignificant in number now. Yeah, Rome is powerful. And the surrounding nations, the pagan nations around us, they're powerful. And you want military conquest. You want political power. You seem small. You seem insignificant. It seems like the culture of the world is pressing in and winning. But keep in mind, disciples... That, that humble beginnings have fruitful endings, that like leaven spreads throughout the dough and causes it to rise. That's what leaven does, right? Causes it to rise. So the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's small. It often goes unnoticed. It's often when you care for your poor neighbor and nobody sees. It's, it's when you help the, the person in your community and nobody knows it. It's not this flashy, top-down, we're conquering the world kingdom. It's this slow, growing simmer. It's this bottom-up daily reality of loving those in your sphere of influence. It's not fixing all the world's problems and bringing world peace. It's caring for those in front of you. And doing the best you can with what you have in the sphere of influence God has put you in over time, this thing grows. That's why there's people worshiping Jesus on the continent of Africa this morning. It's probably not morning there. Today. That's why there's people worshiping Jesus in Asia today. It's why there's people worshiping Jesus in South America today. Because this thing has grown started small, this small movement, this small band of disciples in the Middle East following this rejected Messiah who hung upon a cross with a crown of thorns, and yet it's grown, and here we are today worshiping him. And so church, keep in mind that humble beginnings often have fruitful endings. Don't be grown the small circumstances that God has put you in. Jesus elsewhere teaches that those who are faithful and little they will become faithful with much. Sometimes we think God should be doing more. God should be using me for more. God should expand my opportunity. Or, or There's all this wreckage in the world. Why isn't God doing anything about it? There's suffering around the world. And Jesus is saying, be reminded that, that I'm doing something and it's growing. And if you take church history into account, my kingdom grows. Started small. Oftentimes our experience of it is small and humble. But humble beginnings have fruitful endings, and this ending is the ultimate fruitful ending, which he gets to in these parables. The next set of parables, the treasure and the pearls. The parables about the kingdom's worth. These two parables teach us about the kingdom's worth, and they teach us to value eternal glory over earthly gain. 
there in verses 44 and 45. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, Jesus is teaching us here that the kingdom of heaven is worth more than the kingdom of earth. That those who would follow Jesus, those who are interested in following Jesus, would grow in their understanding. and They would grow in, in valuing eternal glory, what's to come over earthly gain. And this is hard, isn't it, church? I don't know about you, but... I know about me because I'm me. I just, sometimes I just want what's easy and in front of me. And, and I want earthly gain. Sometimes this afterlife seems so vague and, and so far in the distance. And I'm just like, maybe I just want to sit on my couch and watch Netflix, even though I know there's something more beneficial that I could be doing for my soul and for those around me. Maybe I just want to spend my money the way that I want to spend my money. Maybe, maybe I don't want to sell it all and go buy the field. Maybe I just want to invest in my hobby. Maybe I just want to invest in worldly gain and earthly gain. And Jesus is saying here, to, to follow him means that we increasingly grow in this willingness to give it all away. To sell it all. To get the kingdom. Isn't that exactly what he says in verse 40, 44 and 45? That, that when we begin to understand the worth of the kingdom of heaven, we will give it all away. We become willing to abandon everything. This doesn't necessarily mean he's going to call you to give everything up. God is gracious and loving and he gives you joys and hobbies and he's in that right so if you enjoy your boat you can enjoy your boat if you enjoy your skis or your snowboard you can enjoy your skis and your snowboard if you enjoy whatever it is fill in your blank i give you my own examples because i like to preach to myself but god god may not call you to give those things up but he might and so the question is, are we growing in our valuing his kingdom and his call over the kingdom of earth and our wants? Do, do we hold all things with open hands? I'm willing to give up my preferences. I'm willing to give up my desires. I'm willing to give up my, my safe little life. That's what's... That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it... He covered it up, and then he goes and he sells everything to buy that field. It's like, I, there's something here that's more valuable than everything I've tasted, everything I've experienced, everything I've tried, and I need this thing. And this thing is Christ. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so, again, keep in mind, are you holding all things with open hands? Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to... Have a career change if he calls you to be a missionary in another culture, on another continent. Are you willing to sell that valuable toy that you have to help somebody in need? Again, he doesn't necessarily ask you to do all of those things. 
Sometimes our churches don't help us because we kind of like guilt people into selling things and giving things up and moving across the world to be a missionary when God didn't actually call you to move across the world to be a missionary. Maybe God's called you to your neighborhood, to your sphere of influence, to your workplace to be a missionary. Maybe God's called you to keep your boat, but to open up your hands with your boat and have people on your boat who you normally wouldn't have on your boat, right? The, the point isn't that we have to give up everything. The point is that we ought to be willing to give up everything because we value the kingdom of heaven. We value the, the eternal glory of God and what we will experience and what we want others to experience more than our own little lives. And so church, are you willing to give earthly gain for eternal glory? That's the question to consider this morning and to think through. Are you holding all things with open hands? Do you treasure Christ as more valuable than all that life has to offer? And then the last parable here, the parable of the scribes and masters. This is a parable about the kingdom's disciples, and it teaches us that followers of Jesus grow in their understanding of the kingdom of heaven and willingness to give everything for it. See, this isn't a like, yes, I figured it out, or no, I haven't. This is a continual journey, church. Jesus isn't here to condemn you to say, if you're holding on to things too tightly, you're out. You bad sinner, get out of my presence. He's saying, if you would come after me, you increasingly learn what the kingdom of heaven is like, and you grow in your willingness to go all out for me, to give everything up for me. And that's what he's doing here with the disciples. Verse 51, he says, have you understood all these things? And earlier in Matthew chapter 13, they asked him, why do you speak in parables? And they didn't understand. And I don't know that they understood here. I think they're afraid to tell Jesus we still don't get it. Because later on, they're abandoning him, right? In his hour of need, in his worst, Peter denies him three times. I think Peter just doesn't want to disappoint Jesus when he says, do you understand these parables? They said to him, yes. I think they're just lying to Jesus. I honestly do. I think they're like, oh, we don't want to get Jesus annoyed again because we never understand what he says. We don't want to make our teacher mad. And he says to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out all of his treasure, what is old and what is new. And so the disciples are going to become scribes of the kingdom. They're going to become the experts on the gospel. They're going to become the teachers of the gospel. They're going to be the ones who the Holy Spirit empowers and they go out proclaiming the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he's saying, because you understand these things, even though I don't think they fully did in the, in the moment, do any of us ever fully understand all of these things? No, it's a journey. Jesus is gracious to us and welcoming us into the journey. And on the journey, he's teaching us. He's saying, okay, if you understand these things, here's what's to come. You grow in your understanding. You understand the kingdom of heaven. You're able to distinguish it from the kingdom of earth. And you grow in your willingness to give it all away for me, for my kingdom. So he says, if you understand these things, you are like a scribe. You've become trained for the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus is that we become trained to live for Jesus. Stop beating yourself up for your failures. Stop beating up one another for their failures and say, let's, let's be trained together. Let's grow up together. It's like a person training to run a marathon. Sometimes you have good runs. Sometimes you have bad runs. Sometimes you don't hit your goal. Sometimes you do hit your goal. 
Discipleship, following Jesus, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have good days, you have bad days. You have obedient periods of time, you have disobedient periods of time. But he's saying those who are trained for my kingdom, they become like scribes, the expert teachers of the law, and they become like a master of a house who brings out the treasure that is new and old. He's saying they become the people who can distinguish the Old Testament law and the New Testament gospel. They become the people who, in time, the disciples didn't get it here. They still thought Jesus was legalistic. They still thought Jesus was going to be a political king. They still thought Jesus was going to have military conquest. But he's saying, over time, you'll begin to understand the old and the new. You'll begin to see the old sacrificial system, and you'll begin to experience the New Testament, the new covenant reality of my sacrifice for you in your place on your behalf. See, church, what we need to be careful of is not reading this statement as legalistic. That in order for me to prove that I'm in the kingdom of God, I need to give everything away. And God is mad at me when I'm holding on to things and clinging on to things. And and, and God is shaming me for not measuring up. And Jesus is not happy with me. That's a legalistic way to read this statement. That's not the reality that we live in. Jesus is saying that we have to learn how to bring out treasures from the new and the old. And and here's what he's looking at, getting at. Look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the old. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish the old, but to fulfill it. And here in Matthew 13, he's saying, those who learn to distinguish the old and the new, those who learn to distinguish the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, they learn to understand that I am the way, the truth, and the life. They learn to find their hope in me, not in their own willingness or ability to sacrifice. They learn to grow. See, the gospel church, The gospel is that we give everything for the kingdom of heaven because the king of heaven gave everything for us. We're not accepted by God because of our sacrifice. You're accepted before God because of Jesus' sacrifice. We ought to live our lives with open hands, letting everything go freely, following King Jesus, bowing our knee to him, willing to give it all away, not so that we would be accepted by him, not so that he would be proud of our sacrifice, not so that he would say, you are amazing and I wish everyone else was like you. No, we we give it all away when we understand that he gave it all away. We sacrifice because the king of heaven sacrificed. Amen, church? That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, those who who embrace the kingdom of heaven, you learn to bring out the treasure of the old and the new. You understand the the Old Testament law. You understand the sacrificial system, and you know that you could never fulfill it. Your sacrifices are empty. Your sacrifices are hollow. Your sacrifices only go so deep. But my sacrifice, the new covenant, is sufficient for life. And so that's what we do when we gather at Park Community Church. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We we remind one another that the eternal glory is worth more than earthly gain. We run to the cross. We run to the Christ 
we remind one another to be willing to give it all up for him because he gave it all up for us. Our sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. It's a response. It's not a law. It's a gift. It's not an expectation. Our willingness to give up everything to follow Christ comes when we keep in mind that Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. That you didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law, but you came to fulfill it. That you call us to a, to a level of, that you give us a high calling. You ask us to hold all things with open hands, to be willing to give it all. But ultimately, Jesus, we can do that in response, joyful response, joyful obedience, because you, the King of heaven, gave it all for us. So we come now to the table this morning to remember your sacrifice in our place, on our behalf, that by you we are made new, and by you we can live our lives with open hands, willing to give it all away. Pray that you would meet us now, Lord Jesus, and remind us of the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ.